The unofficial end to summer is here. School has started for most, football season is upon us, and soon the leaves will be changing color. At the DSR Network, we remain as busy as ever with a full slate of podcasts scheduled for the fall. In the coming weeks, we'll be launching two new shows with new hosts, creating even more content for our members. Members receive an ad-free listening experience, an evening newsletter, an invitation to join the DSR Slack community, bonus content, and more. Best of all, if you become a member in the month of September, you'll receive 20% off the normal membership price. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code SCHOOL at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code SCHOOL. Thank you for your support. This is Words Matter with Norm Ornstein. We've got the votes and screw the rest of you. And Dr. Kavita Patel. These might be some of the smaller moments, you know, with all the bombshells. Didn't catch people's eyes. Hello and welcome to Words Matter from the DSR Network. Each week, Norm Ornstein and I will talk about the issues facing our country as we head into another election cycle. And Norm, today I think is a, a special treat, hopefully for all our listeners, because we have we often do react to kind of popular uh, news, but especially timely news. And I know that you and I both, when it flashed across our phones, probably picked up on the um, social media verse about the grand jury. Uh, recommendations that came out of Georgia, and I won't uh, bury the lead here, but needless to say, amongst other things, Lindsey Graham, who the grand jury had uh, on on the charges of being involvement on January 6th, based on, uh, based on what information was presented to the grand jury, felt that an indictment should have been handed out, but did not get handed out. Did I read the pressing news correctly or get us up to speed on what is happening as you as it's unfolding today. So in Georgia, we had a grand jury, obviously, and it's that grand jury that issued the indictments that Fonnie Willis is taking forward, the 19 people with the uh, RICO conspiracy uh, to uh, violate Georgia law and overturn the election. But we got the grand jury report today that includes a lot more. And as you said, it includes Lindsey Graham, but also two other then senators from Georgia, Kelly Leffler, David Perdue, along with lawyer Cleta Mitchell and others who the grand jury had recommended be indicted and Fonnie Willis did not. And it's interesting because We know that uh, Lindsey Graham made his own phone calls to Brad Raffensperger um, trying to leverage what Trump had said to get him to uh, basically act in ways that he believed uh, rightly were illegal. Uh, So why did Fonnie Willis, who's clearly been a pit bull in all of this, and pit bull, if people, listeners, want to get a little entertainment, read what Fonnie Willis wrote to Jim Jordan, who's been trying to uh, subpoena her and haul her in. Um, It's take no prisoners. But in this case, I can understand it in a way. Um, 
it complicates matters because there is a speech and debate clause in the Constitution about uh, exempting members of Congress uh, in the capacity of their uh, of their official actions from things that otherwise might be criminal. And while I think you could make a case, and I surely would, that this was under the color of an official act by a senator on the Judiciary Committee in the Senate, but it was an attempt to uh, overturn an election. Um, I wouldn't mind testing that in the courts, but I understand from Fonnie Willis's perspective, who already has, she already has something very complicated here. And of course, we know the judge in this case is very skeptical about what she wants to do, trying all 19 of these people together. It would have been a uh, a big hill to climb to also include uh, Lindsey Graham. So maybe step back and do a little bit of just, um, I'm going to try to keep things basic because that's actually my understanding of some of these complicated legal relationships, to be candid with you. So um, the panel just under, and this is state law, so Georgia law, the, the panel that was convened could not issue the indictments themselves. That's why they couldn't issue anything. Um, uh, and, and so the, the regular grand jury heard all this evidence and then a special grand jury had to kind of write this report that's now public, that's now available, um, on whether those indictments were warranted. And Ms. Willis convened that special, Fannie Willis convened that special grand jury because they could not issue indictments, but they could issue subpoenas. Is that, is that correct? And so that's really what Fannie, because I was trying, as I read this, trying to understand why did we even have the grand jury in the, or the special grand jury in the first place? I was very confused because there's a regular and a special and I thought, what is the point if the special can't issue indictments? I found out, again, it's Georgia law, they can't. And then I thought, why would Fannie do this? And as you're, so maybe Norm, can you explain kind of like, and you sort of did this, but is that accurate that she really wanted this special grand jury really for its subpoena powers? And I hate to say it bluntly, but really nothing else. And then maybe also explain the constitutional issue, because I'm that I don't know if People understand the nuance there. So uh, you're you're right about this. Uh, in Georgia, you would have a special grand jury that would go through a lot of the evidence, and it's a kind of preliminary step, and then that evidence becomes available to the regular grand jury, which itself would issue indictments. But that special grand jury, besides subpoenas, can also make recommendations. Those recommendations go to the regular grand jury. They uh, go to uh, the uh, uh, prosecutor in this case, but uh, they're just recommendations. So uh, it uh, was still up to Fannie Willis to decide how she would proceed and who she would indict and to get the direct uh, and work with the regular grand jury to make all of that happen. Now, in the case of senators, there's a, an understandable provision in the Constitution. You do not want to have, if you have a separation of powers, you don't want to have the executive branch with the ability to intimidate or punish people in Congress 
by misusing its own authority. So if you are acting, if you're on the floor of the House or Senate and you're giving a speech and you say something that might otherwise be illegal, maybe you disclose national security information or maybe you make a threat to somebody, you are protected. And in the same way, you're protected uh, if you um, are, say, heading towards Congress for a vote and you're stopped for speeding. It's even things like that. Now, we've had instances where an executive overstepped its bounds. Uh, One example, the best example, uh, Bill Jefferson was a a Democratic congressman from uh, New Orleans who uh, famously, uh, with Katrina, um, found a freezer containing $60,000 in cash that taken bribes. The Justice Department and Republican administration raided his office in the Capitol complex in the Cannon office building and went through all of his papers. That was a breach of the Constitution, and as it turned out, even the Republican speaker, Dennis Hastert, joined with the Democratic leader, Nancy Pelosi, and sued in federal court, and uh, those uh, searches were deemed illegal. So we've had examples of this. Um, You know, it's, and it's understandable. Now, having said that, and I think I would argue that what Lindsey Graham did, arguably what uh, the other two senators from then senators from Georgia who were subsequently defeated, uh, Callie Leffler and David Perdue did, were illegal under Georgia law and could be prosecuted. But it's a more difficult case and it could take years of sorting out um, whether this fit under the speech and debate clause. Now, With that, Kavita, let me add, I don't think this applies to any consideration that Jack Smith, at the federal level, might indicting some of those Republican members of Congress who we know were neck deep in involvement in planning what happened on January 6th. Some of them were conducting tours of the Capitol with people who then would know where offices were. Some of them, according to uh, a planner of the violent insurrection, actually worked with him, people like Paul Gosar uh, and uh, Andy Biggs. Um, We know Scott Perry, um, Marjorie Taylor Greene and others were in communication with uh, many of the actors here. Um, These are uh, go well beyond any notion that this was an official act by Congress or members of Congress. Um, now, for political reasons, Jack Smith might decide he doesn't want to go in that direction, but it would be a uh, tragedy if people who uh, use their positions to create a violent insurrection that was an attempt to overthrow the Constitution and an election and that resulted in many people dying if they were not held accountable for what they did. Okay, so, okay, say then, Norm, so what methods, now we, now I, thank you for the 
understanding 101 of like how, how the sequence of events have played out. And, you know, I worked for a senator. You think I'd remember some of the constitutional protections, but I, I know that we also have, um, what's, what would have played out in the court of public opinion seem, nobody seems to care anymore. I mean, Norm, even standards we would have had in 2015, 2016, 2017 don't seem to apply. Um, can you say a little more now about what, and let's not just have it be about Lindsey Graham, because I think you've before on this pod pointed out there is a long roster of people who are complicit, House members, senators, all sorts of, you know, you and I discussed Norm uh, um, Eisen's graphic in the New York Times, which I still encourage listeners to look at of kind of the complex web of like, you know, who's been around Trump and facilitated this domestic violence, uh, domestic terrorism. And I, I want to ask you then, what recourse is left? You could imagine that if there, if, uh, look, we've got a McConnell dynamic at play here too. Um, Senate ethics, as I remember, still exists. And so where, not just for barely. Lindsey Graham, barely. Well, so say more about this. Yeah. What would, what, would, what in a universe, and we're going to st- speak in our members only section, um, about like kind of past presidents, uh, foundations weighing in mm-hmm. on threats to the democracy. But what normally could have played out that would hold people accountable? And and of that, what might happen here? Well, first, Kavita, you're absolutely right. It's not just Lindsey Graham. Mike Lee, Ted Cruz, Ron Johnson. And now we're learning more about the pernicious role of Chuck Grassley, who had said um, around the time of January 6th, well, if Mike Pence doesn't make it, I'll preside over the Senate. And we know that John Eastman, in his disbarment hearing, was asked whether there had been any discussion of having uh, Mike Pence removed from this process and let Chuck Grassley do what Trump wanted Pence to do, which Pence said was uh, unconstitutional. So there are a lot of, of, uh, of players uh, here. Um, you know, if we were in a different era, and you're absolutely right, the norms have been shattered, you would have some of these individuals uh, expelled. Uh, you know, we had expulsions around the time of the Civil War. We had expulsions of people who were traitors to America. We've had expulsions of those, like in the Abscam scandal, uh, Michael Ozzie Myers, who were involved with uh, bribery and corruption. If you didn't expel them at minimum, you would censure them, which used to be a really significant penalty. You go on the floor of the, uh, of the House or Senate and have the charges publicly read. It's a public humiliation. Uh, even that's been misused now. It was misused uh, horribly in the House uh, when they took a punitive action against Adam Schiff for no other reason than that he's highly competent and did uh, his job the right way with impeachment of uh, Donald Trump. Uh, but those norms are gone. The Senate Ethics Committee is a farce. Um, there is not a single instance in which they have recommended a significant penalty against a senator, despite many instances where they deserved it. Back in the day where I worked very hard and was very proud in the House working with uh, then-Representative Mike Capuano to create an independent office of congressional ethics. And actually, going back to when Barack Obama was senator, 
uh, Harry Reid, the leader, empowered him to try and do ethics reform, we put together um, a proposal for an independent office of Senate ethics, and the Senate rejected it. The Senate doesn't want to police its own members. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a sad thing. What we learn again and again is laws matter, rules matter, but the norms are really like the uh, uh, tendons and ligaments where the exoskeleton is the constitution and the laws. And if the norms go away, the whole thing shatters. It does. And, and it's not, so these are important themes kind of thinking about, and we've spoken here on this pod about reinstating many protections using, for example, kind of federal workers and putting back into place kind of schedule F and other like career government worker protections. However, you're highlighting something that should be I don't want to try to say one is more of a threat to, than others, but I do recall kind of the independent committee. By the way, it was one of the, here's, if you want to take like a chuckle for a minute, um, it was one of the committees, both in the Senate and in the House that had to weigh in. I had, when I started working for Senator Kennedy, I had asked if I could keep up my clinical skills by volunteering no compensation um, at like one of the clinic clinics in the DC area. And it was a long drawn out process with the independent ethics committee who was separate and had their, even their own counsel. You did an incredible job staffing it with smart people who said, look, there's probably some amount that we could let you do, but because you work on all healthcare issues, it would just be really hard to not have a conflict. And I completely understood and agreed by that. I mean, Norm, could you even imagine that that's like, a, like, could you even imagine there would be no discussion and how almost ridiculous it kind of even seems in some light, but it was important to have a precedent so that you didn't have this, what's occurred now, which is basically a denigration of any of the standards. So then let's go back to kind of Fannie Willis and like where, where we're at time-wise. This was pulled though, again, doing a little bit of reminder keeping here, this was pulled so that this was done as part of a FOIA. So are, is what we are discussing going to come back to haunt? As you know, the Republicans have been doing everything possible to make her life miserable. Tell me how this plays out for her and what she's trying to do. You know, it's interesting. One of the things I, I saw this morning was that Jonathan Turley, uh, who's an embarrassment to the law, um, you know, was saying that, this grand jury report shows that uh, Fannie Willis is out of control. When, of course, what Fannie Willis did was not to indict these people. Um, so she has avoided what could have been a big blowback uh, from Republicans. And as one of the great uh, analysts, Asha Ranagapa, Ranagapa, pointed out this morning as well, the uh, Actions by Jim Jordan and the House Judiciary Committee to try and punish Fonnie Willis in the middle of this prosecution would have had more leverage, might have had even some justification for bringing her in if she had indicted a sitting senator. So she is doing whatever she can to move forward aggressively with prosecutions of lots of people who are in big trouble. But avoiding some of the potholes and pitfalls that could have made her life more complicated. It's still very complicated. And whether she's going to be able to try these people in state court, Donald Trump yet again trying to get his case removed to federal court, 
whether she could actually do this, her uh, staff said they wanted to have all 19 done in four months. Uh, it's still very, very complicated. But I think she struck a pretty good balance here. I will say I can understand it with senators why she didn't move forward with an indictment of Cleta Mitchell, who is one of the worst of the offenders here in the law, is still a puzzle to me. I'd really like to learn more. Yeah, it would be interesting. So uh, just would that come through? If it hasn't come through in the documents that were FOIA'd, would there be anything else that would need to be explored? No, I mean, uh, we may never find out. Uh, or it may be, remember that um, we had a list of 30, I believe, unindicted co-conspirators in this indictment of the 19 people. And we've learned the identities of many of them. Because you are an unindicted co-conspirator doesn't mean you are free and clear from a future indictment. But what we also know is that some of these unindicted co-conspirators have likely cooperated with Fannie Willis. And we may never find out, or we may not find out for a long time, which ones they were. They may have flipped on Trump or on others involved in this process. Some of that will come out. Some of it may not. Um, you know, there's always a kind of vagueness here about uh, why prosecutors take actions and there's supposed to be some veil of secrecy in a grand jury. Yeah, there's so how... Um which is important, right? I mean, maybe I can actually kind of backtrack and say, while on the surface, I would say that it's, I'm a big believer in transparency. There are some very, I would say, practical matters and then important legal reasons that there is this, that the grand jury has this ability to have a degree of secrecy. Um, is there any, is, so let's go back to kind of as it's, listeners will listen to this. It won't be as much breaking news. It'll be news that's kind of incorporated and associated. You brought up a couple of important areas uh, that I think deserve more explanation slash exploration. What else should we, are we waiting for anything else to come from whether it's special grand juries or other investigators? Tell me what the timeline could look like between now and maybe even in the end of the year. Uh, so a D.C. grand jury, I believe, is meeting even as we are talking uh, today, Kavita. That's Jack Smith. We don't know what other shoes are going to drop, but you're not going to keep a grand jury in action if you aren't uh, prepared to take further action. Now, there's something else that's happening here that is interesting, which is that the tech person at Mar-a-Lago... Uh, has now flipped on Donald Trump. And with that happening, it's not difficult to imagine that Walt Nauta, who of course is Trump's longtime aide, the, uh, who was very much involved in the obstruction of justice, um, and his other security person down there, uh, the one who uh, accidentally flooded the uh, room where all the security footage was by draining the pool. Ha, ha, ha. Um, these are, you know, average people in jobs that didn't pay a huge sum of money facing the possibility of multiple years in prison. Uh, and you got to believe that some of them are going to decide that it's not worth it anymore. And Trump knows this, which is why he already tried to attack Walt Nada and cut loose from them. 
So, you know, grand juries convening may mean more indictments. It also may mean that the possibility of indictments coming from that grand jury will motivate some of the people who were involved in this, who were present in meetings, like at the Willard Hotel or down at Mar-a-Lago, into saying, I'm going to cut my own losses and provide evidence to the prosecutors. So the other thing that I was um, just going to ask about was that something that you made me, it was, uh, I wanted to like tie this and then, and then maybe we can just do it briefly and then kind of move into our members only section. But um, it's just something you spurred about Walter Nada made me think about the kind of disbarment proceedings that were occurring in California earlier this week. And it was Trump's latest, you know, legal genius, John Eastman. Um, and he refused to answer. I had to look this up to make sure I quoted it correctly. He refused to answer a question about whether he and others seeking to overturn the results of the election discussed getting Senator Grassley involved um, to preside over counting the electoral votes. And and anyway, Eastman declined on the grounds of attorney-client privilege, but then said his client was Donald Trump. Did I? I, I think that uh, is that. Have you been following like that thread of my client? But his client is Donald Trump. Are we looking? It just something as you said about Nada just kind of spurred me thinking. There's going to be. I mean, is he hiding that Grassley is his client, or is he that incompetent competent that he tried to pull a fast one in a disbarment proceeding? I, I mean, tell me, Norm, how did you read that? I read that as trying to pull a fast one in a disbarment proceedings because he is also worried about uh, more criminal indictments and not just. Uh, he will be disbarred. I think it would be shocking if he weren't given his misconduct. Yeah, uh, it would but be. he's also worried about prison time. And remember, we had another event today too, uh, yesterday, which is um, a very quick conviction of Peter Navarro, another one of these yes. terrible mm-hmm. people involved in all of this. On those, contempt. On contempt right. of Congress. Mm-hmm. Now, right. he will likely appeal that just as... Just uh, as Bannon did. Bannon did. Mm-hmm. But... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're getting more shoes dropping here all the time. Yeah. Uh, the number of people around Trump, lawyers and others, who were deeply engaged in horrific misconduct just keeps growing by the day. It does. It does. It's, um, and uh, I think Navarro on many social media outlets uh, basically was like my duty to like God and, you know, the commander in chief. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is. Uh, just reminding us once again why 2024 is not just about you know red states and blue states. It is about democracy. So it does not matter where you live. Well, with that, and thank you so much, Norm, for both the explanation slash education. But I also think it just puts into for me. I hope listeners do what what I always do, kind of taking away the conversations that are not happening. I think the names and talking through who are the people who are not being held accountable to me are some of the most important things that I can possibly kind of stress to others. So I will, we'll have to close there. I want to thank everyone for listening and it would be really helpful if you could help share this, if you enjoyed it, subscribe to our podcast on any one of your favorite podcast players and make sure that if you want to get a chance to listen to our next conversation uh, for members only, you can join. It's uh, about a pumpkin spice latte that time of the year. Uh, a month and it's a and words matter is a production of the dsr network our incredible producer is riley fessler and our 
Executive producer for the network is Chris Kotmar. The next episode of Words Matter will be in your podcast feeds around September 15th. Hope to see you soon. 